Hi, welcome to Prey vs. Predator, the podcast. We are so happy for you to join us. We are still continuing our conversation about institutional abuse in religious settings and what can be done for the prey uh, in regards to the trauma and the events of being hurt or abused by predators within these religious institutions. So we still have our guest of honor here, Sophia. We are so happy for you to continue uh, helping us discuss this and what can be done within the church. Let's look for hope. Let's look for something for the future, for maybe any sort of organization that may listen to this. What can be done for the prey? What can be done for the victims in regards to abuse? Do you have something to offer, Sophia? Yeah, I I think that's what we want to do is we want to offer hope for the future and creating safe spaces. And a story that comes to mind for me is there was an incident uh, in the Bible. There was a story about um, someone who they had a conflict at the church, a difficulty with someone who had fallen into morality, and their leader had wrote a very confrontational letter. And he went on to describe how he was not regretful that he caused them sorrow because he was addressing the issue at hand. And um, the this verse says this, he wrote this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the word worldly sorrow because it yeah. sounds like, oh, if I'm in the world, I don't know how to have true true forgiveness or repentance or whatever those those words are. So just in the context of it, what it's saying is that In the light of true godly grief, if we were, because we're just talking in the right now in the context of religious institutions, what does that look like? And I think that's the first thing is it looks like someone's confronting you. It looks like you're willing to sit in the chair where there's the heat of facing the reality of what you've done, facing the reality of how you've impacted your victims, facing that you cannot demand forgiveness of them, that there's a timeline to that that is on the terms of the victim, not on your timeline. Exactly. All of those things in contrast to what, obviously a biblical word, worldly sorrow, but how I would define that is like that that cheap sorrow that says, I'm actually really sorry for myself that I got caught. And now I'm scrambling to figure out all the ways that I can shore people up to believe in my authentic change. When the truth is, it's I'm fueled by self-pity. I'm fueled by the grief of the consequences of my choices, mm-hmm. not the grief of what uh, what harm I've caused. And I think that contrast was outlined there that there really is a difference in how a predator can respond in the face of confrontation. Hmm. And this is where it's complex for religious institutions, because at the beginning, both people can seem um, like victims and both people can seem like abusers. It's it's because there is the image of atonement. There is the words of atonement, but there are no behaviors. Believe behavior is not words. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's all about action. You need to do all these actions to get to the point of saying sorry. And even at that point, the victim doesn't even have to forgive you. Like they can, but it's really, it needs to be backed up with a lot of behaviors. And would you agree, Sophia and Jill, like, was there any back, was your predator really good at talking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. high degree of verbal fluency absolutely but no backup no behavior with, with to, behaviors yeah, would follow 
And even if they didn't know who the real victim was, let's give religious institutions that that freedom. If you don't know who the victim is, then were you asked about it? Like, were you, did anybody from your institution come to you and talk to you about this? To find out what you wanted, what you needed, oh, no. how, how to protect you, what, what does atonement look like for you? I think I was more told, this is the process. Mm-hmm. And what was the process? Well, again, again, like in the last podcast, when I talked about, you need to forgive. Just forgive. Like, that's so what came out first. And yes, they said believe behaviors and that kind of thing. But it's like, he's doing all the, th- the things. So it's your job to forgive and let it go. And all of that forced like, like, it's like fast tracking, like you need to get through this and and get her done so that you guys can go back to some sense of normalcy. A story uh, that comes to mind in, in that fast tracking of the motion was, it was not long after what we call disclosure, when you find out all the things that have been going on in your life that you didn't know about. Um, my prayer counselor said that it was my that my next step of healing would be to phone uh, the affair partner and to let her know that I have forgiven her oh. and said that um, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling, and you have to act in forgiveness. And once you're obedient in forgiving, your emotions will catch up. Hmm. So it's a, like an act of faith mm-hmm. to do this. So- Cognitive... Um- Dissonance Dissonance to the max, right? Or gaslighting. Uh, Right? And so I I wanted to be spiritual. I wanted to heal. And this person had never come to me and said, taken any form of responsibility for their choices, for their behavior. In fact, it was all still underground. I, to this day, have no idea if her husband knows that she had an affair. No one addressed that or confronted her on any level. But I had to phone three times. I'm, I can imagine why she didn't pick up the phone when she maybe saw the call display. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to phone, make three valid efforts to try and phone her to tell her that she's forgiven. I think the the piece is, again, that word spiritual bypassing is a is a good term because what we're doing is we're saying you need to do this and we bypassed all the steps that would lead someone to forgiving someone else in their own terms, even it or absolving them of the responsibility to have to forgive. And and also, why are we demanding this upfront? And also so continuing to silence the true victim. Yeah. And shut them up and shut them down. Yeah. And re-traumatize them. Yeah. Because when you when you are a victim, you're left in a state of you don't have any power. You don't have any. Your voice has been stolen. You've been uh, most of our cases lied about, lied to, and now you have an institution that that if you don't come alongside and hear that victim's voice and allow that victim's voice to have some weight to it, they cannot do it by themselves. Because they have been their vo- when somebody steals your voice, you are voiceless, and you're kind of conditioned to take it. You really are, you know. Yeah. And especially if you've grown up in a place where maybe there is gender norms and there is about being the good wife or being the you know whatever, being the good person, the bigger person. And, and I think that for some of us were conditioned to think that our voice really doesn't matter. Or is valid. I, I think that our experience has told us that it's not. Yeah. And so, so this is where I think for a religious institution, the victim's voice must be central. Take the time to figure out who the victim is. 
that might take you years. You are not done until you understand what has happened and who needs protection. And forcing someone who's been victimized to spiritually bypass all all of the feelings and emotions that come with trauma, like the anger. I wasn't allowed to be angry. I mean, I it took years of therapy to kind of connect to that anger piece because it was so stuffed in my body because it was, well, my first response to the affair partner is to forgive. That's, that's step one. I think we skipped a few steps. Mm-hmm. Like how about acknowledging the fact that this was a violation and that Anger is an is a natural response when someone violates your boundaries mm-hmm. and that we should acknowledge that that's actually a tell that's healthy. Right. And that right. you have to process through that and work that out. Where was that space? Well, and oftentimes I would say that a lot of predators, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but predators use anger, use rage to control. I know in my situation, I know in other people's situation, I don't know if you can speak to that. So anger was a hard thing for me to even want to go because I didn't want to be like my predator. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a difference between that violating rage mm-hmm. and a justifiable standing up for yourself anger. Because I could get in touch with defending somebody else with a bit of anger. But being comfortable with, and maybe anger is not even like, it's just being able to stand up straight and say, you can't do that to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that could be anger, but it also could be, please, you know, get your hands off me. It can be a lot of things, but anger is something that it's hard to hold on to when you've seen it abused or being used as a weapon yeah. and it feels like you're being like them. And it feels foreign to your nature as prey. Oh, it, absolutely. absolutely, Yeah, absolutely. Because my nature is make everything okay. And, yeah. and I will lay myself down to make sure that you're, you know, like you're, you want to roll the bus over me. That's great. Why don't I just stand here and make sure your ride is smooth? Mm-hmm. That, that's the nature. So to, for, for. This a, foreign body that's now inside yeah. of me yeah. that needs release and needs to be heard. And, you know, it's, it's like example, again, spiritual, spiritualizing things are like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Mm -hmm. Well, really? Do you think I can process this in a day? Like that's a lot of anger when you've been hurt and betrayed and had all of these things happen to us. And, and you're right. We want to play nice. We want to look spiritual. We want to keep our love on again. Like all of these things that we're conditioned to do without going through the fullness of what the human experience is in trauma and betrayal. Yeah. Well, and I think of um, uh, Gabor Mate has a has a book called When the Body Says No, and he talks in that book about the cost of holding in that anger mm-hmm. and being victimized repeatedly is uh, on average twenty years of your life. So I think what people are doing when they're saying, you know, skip that part, just forgive, is they're saying, you know, if your kids don't have you at their wedding because you sucked it up for 20 years and we we silenced your voice. We're good with that. I'm not good with that. My kids aren't good with that. I want to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to walk with them. I want to journey with them. I don't want 20 years of my life stolen mm. because my voice was robbed and then robbed again and then silenced. Like this, this is... Um, the tr- the damage and trauma that we do attempting to be nice 
Uh, I think what was said in one of our podcasts that, um, what was it, forgiveness without justice is abuse. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and if we don't grasp what it means and what it looks like for to be a victim, I think that's another piece we should talk about a little bit here is, I don't know that we know what it looks like to be a victim because victims are messy. Yeah. And, 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 and perpetrators often aren't. Well, and, and a lot of predators out there are using victim status to gain status. Like there's powerful people playing a victim in order to gain a bit of status. So then it becomes such a dirty word. And people who are really victims, they don't want to be pitied or I'm a victim. Right. You know, so it is such a interesting thing to discuss because you know, weaponizing victimhood. I don't know. Well, I, I'm just thinking about uh, the the philosopher and theologian uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, and he talks about cheap grace. And um, a little quote from from actually his book called Cheap Grace: Grace without price, grace without cost. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, as opposed to costly grace, the pearl of great price to buy the merchant's goods. Wow. Mm. Cheap grace. Yeah, like let's not yeah. throw it to the dogs. Let's not... Let us count the cost. Yeah. Let, like, we don't throw pearls to pigs. Right. Right? No, those, are, those are scriptural yeah. things. But, yeah. But, but this idea of we don't offer this to people who haven't done the work. Well, I think that that's important because I think, you know, even in our discussion here, some people still will never get it because they are predators or they have just a different mindset. But we are speaking to people that will get it and do understand and have been there and have been betrayed by an organization that should love them, care for them, be there for them, you know, build up the 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 abused, the, you know, the persecuted, the person that's been left behind, the the motherless, the childless, the father. Like, that is what this is supposed to be. And it cheapens this institution if we can't look for everybody. Yeah. And I think for leaders that are listening or people that are part of um, churches or organizations, I think I understand the desire to see the one who's lost their family at the consequences of their own choice and wanting to support them. Mm -hmm. No one's saying like, kick them out and leave them to die. <laughs> you know, that's not the message that at least I want to, I think mm -hmm. I can speak on behalf of all of us. That's not what mm -hmm. we're trying to communicate. But what we're saying is that when we're, while you're sorting it all out, be mindful of what what the real story is. Uh, don't make assumptions. Ask really good questions. Uh, be investigative as you look at a couple. Don't cliche them right away. It takes two to tango, like all of the things that we quickly do. Um, really seek to understand the nature of what's happening in that situation. Get assessments done and then bring in the appropriate help with good psychology mm -hmm. offer yeah. support and then when you sort it out who's who um 
make sure you prioritize the victim so that they can still feel safe within the community. And then I'm not saying, hey, you're out, whatever, but say, hey, you're going to the side right now. This person needs this to restore, be restored. And we're going to send a group to wrap around you of men or women, if it's the reverse of the, the issue in how you can offer support, but it's not going to be at the expense of the victim. Mm. Right. But I also um, can I throw in there that yeah. as you're wrapping around support, support might look like holding your feet to the fire. Yeah. Support yeah. might say you don't get back here until these things have been done that demonstrate that you are healthy enough to come back. 100%. And I think 100%. that piece is is so important because in some ways that is protection for the predator as well. Yeah. It, it, it's the only way that mm -hmm. they have a hope to turn it around, uh, to have a path forward. If there ever was a, a hope for redemption, I think it would take everyone collectively saying this is not okay. And we don't do this here. You are, you will not be here if you do that. Mm -hmm. And if we collectively can say that, there is then becomes a path to actually having grace, becoming a person that is safe for other people. Well, and also, if you don't go through those steps, that person is still in your, your congregation uh, looking out for another person to pray on. You know, that is the, so in a way, you have a job to protect people from that person if you know that they're a predator yeah and so it's an obligation so if you have an institution and you your institution doesn't include some sort of board of individuals who have been victims and and some sort of understanding of what that looks like what that means um if the, if there's not steps to atonement before even an apology as we talked about in a former podcast and if there isn't a sense uh, of um, taking the time and doing the work of figuring out who the victim is and what they need and listening to the voice of the victim, then you are safe housing predators. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah. And if you are hearing this and you're in an institution, you are leading an institution and you want more support around this, you want curriculum, you want ideas, you can reach out to us and we are happy because we want change and we want houses of, of restoration and peace and we want to be safe places for victims. Thank you. Thanks for listening, you yeah, guys. Yeah, and if you have stories, again, we want to hear your stories. As listeners, please reach out to us because we want to share them. We want to hear them. We want to help you. We want you to help us. <laughs> so please just reach out. You're not alone. And thank you to Sophia for... Um, being here the last three episodes thank you. and and just ah, you give us so much wisdom thank oh, you Sophia. it was fun to be here we are thank gonna miss you. you if you haven't yet please check out our previous episode where we explore the challenges that communities of faith encounter in response to this type of abuse thanks so much for tuning in mm -hmm.